Another pot of coffee is brewing. My third cup is almost finished. I am still trying with that health kick, but sometimes a day just calls for so much coffee. So that means it's time for another episode of Not Before Coffee. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, TV show marathoner, film addict, hermit, long-term depression sufferer, and very honest caffeine fiend. Welcome to episode five. I cannot actually believe I am already five episodes into season two when it feels like only yesterday I was writing the notes for episode one. Oh well, time flies when you're having fun. When I originally planned June, I had this amazing idea that I was going to spend the entire month just talking about Lucifer, taking you back to the very beginning where the show started. But the more I talked about the second part of season five last week, the more I realised that while it's clearly a popular show with my listeners, and with me for that matter, and there has been a lot of character development over time, there simply isn't enough material there to cover a further three episodes. So that left me in a just a tiny bit of a bind. <laughs> and then I remembered a brief exchange I'd had on Twitter with another user, and I knew exactly what I had to do. So I flicked through Four On Demand, Amazon Prime and Netflix and felt more than just a tad jubilant when I realised that what I was looking for is actually available on all three platforms in the UK. So jackpot. So what is it I'm going to be talking about this week? Well, before I get into it, I will give you three clues and see if you can guess. Clue one. It features my biggest love of all time. Come on, if you've been listening to my show, you'll know what that is, and I'm not talking Chris Evans. Clue two, The Little Book of Calm. Clue three, lots, and I mean lots, of red wine. So, do you want me to put you out of your misery? Yes, I am going to be talking about the fantastic Britcom Black Books. Seriously, in the early 2000s, Channel 4 did nothing but produce amazing comedy shows such as Dressing for Breakfast, Spaced, The IT Crowd and Father Ted, or sketch shows such as Big Train, Smack the Pony or Absolutely. To be honest, they are still at the forefront when it comes to the comedy that breaks boundaries. With shows like The Inbetweeners, The Amazing... Friday Night Dinners, I'm really sad that's over, and Derry Girls. Anyway, less of that and on to what you came here for today, Black Books. Believe it or not, there were three six-episode seasons of Black Books, with the first one airing from September to October in 2000. 18 months later, <laughs> don't believe in <laughs> shoving things in right away, in March 2002, the second season aired. And the third and final season aired a full two years later in March 2004. So, yeah, it was incredibly spread out, though each season follows the same pattern of most UK-made TV with a very short run of just six episodes. They are all well-crafted and carefully put together, even though sometimes they feel as though they're a little bit messy. But then, to be fair, that's Black Books all over. 
a little bit messy with a lot of charm. Though Black Books is a comedy, it does have a little bit of a darker edge. But it could have been so much darker had Dylan Moran's original vision come to fruition. A pilot in which Manny and Bernard decide to commit suicide. And that one was made in 1998, but A, it was never picked up and B, it has never seen the light of day. If you've managed to get hold of a copy, you are in the massive minority. The show itself is written by Dylan Moran, and though he had several co-writers throughout the three-season run of the series, he also created the characters that we love, Manny, Bernard, and Fran. According to Moran, after the initial idea was discarded, he came up with the idea of a bookshop because he believes that it is a dying business and running a second-hand bookshop is a guaranteed commercial failure pretty sad really when you're a book lover. For those of you who have yet to see black books, A, shame on you. B, get that sorted out quick, smart, seriously. But also, here's a brief summary of what you can expect when you watch it. And I say when, not if. Black Books is a small and rather rundown second-hand bookshop near Bloomsbury in London, run by the almost always intoxicated Bernard Black. It's not a friendly place for customers. That's an understatement. Through an unfortunate series of events, Manny Bianco, a friendly hippie who is very easily taken advantage of, ends up working with Bernard and living on the premises. The show is less about the bookshop and the business itself and more about Bernard, Manny and their friend Fran, the unusual adventures they get up to while mostly sticking to one single location, the effort that Fran and Manny sometimes make in order to get Bernard to broaden his social horizons, and the ups and downs of their friendship, and there are lots of them. Bernard Black, played by Dylan Moran, owns Black Books, a small second-hand bookshop in the Bloomsbury area of London. He's grumpy, grouchy, drinks too much, smokes too much, and is definitely not suited to the life of a customer-facing business owner. He does, however, definitely love books. His idea of a great time is drinking and smoking with a good book. He lacks anything resembling social skills, despite the efforts that his friends go to in order to help him adjust to situations where they happen to be required. Though we do get to see Bernard in places other than the bookshop, these occasions are few and far between. He genuinely doesn't care about other people or what they think of him. Probably not a bad thing, really. In fact, he was so bad that at one point a girlfriend actually faked her death so he wouldn't contact her again. Manny Bianco, who is played by the always wonderful Bill Bailey, seems like he has things covered. However, when we first meet him, he is working in a relatively high-powered and stressful job in the city as an accountant. He wears suits and is the definite type A personality, always stressed, always in a hurry. Manny first encounters Bernard when he goes into Black Books to purchase the Little Book of Calm, hence my clue earlier, desperately in need of a few brief moments of respite from his life. He hates his job, as he makes very clear when he leaves the shop, hates the people he is working with, but just cannot see a route to escape. That all changes when he accidentally swallows said little book of calm and ends up in hospital. 
His doctor is played by a very young Martin Freeman and he's anything but comforting when he informs Manny that the book could easily kill him. Instead, somehow the book is absorbed into his system and he takes on an incredibly calm demeanour giving advice that could easily have come from the book itself. The scene where the doctor is telling Manny that, oh, you could live for a day, you could live for a year, you could live for 10 years, I don't know, I don't know what's happening. He is absolutely perfect as a clueless character, and he's funny. This new Manny definitely has a lot of patience and takes everything in his stride. It's as though somehow assimilating this book has turned him into someone who just goes with the flow and is unconcerned about anything at all. Oh, God, that would be really nice. Bernard offering him a job at Black Books is probably both a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because Bernard definitely needs Manny, and a curse because Manny is the only one with any sort of work ethic. As Bernard's assistant in the shop, he is responsible for pretty much everything that Bernard is unwilling to do. And I'm including changing Bernard's bed sheets and everything in that. It's not only in the shop, it's everything to do with Bernard's life. Serving customers, filling out ledgers, doing the accounts, all of that is included he is the perfect assistant for someone who would prefer to pretend that the books are a personal library. Fran Katzenjammer, which actually translates loosely into German for hangover, who we later discover is actually really called Enid, is played by Tamsin Grieg. She has been Bernard's friend for a really long time and also happens to own the shop next door, a kitschy place called Nifty Gifty that, in her own words is full of wank. Though she is able to put a great face on it, she's actually almost as bad as Bernard when it comes to drinking and smoking and everything else. Though she is quite good sometimes at pretending to play grown-up. She is very rarely away from black books, despite having her own business, so I wonder how that actually runs at all, as though she prefers company to running her own shop. Though she will often try and play at being the responsible adult, there are a number of moments when we see that she still hasn't got a handle on her life, like, at all. In the very first episode, she is overjoyed that she has been asked by one of her friends to be her birthing partner. A massive responsibility, and Bernard is very, oh, you're going to love that, loads of blood. <laughs> he is so, so mean. But when the time comes, she is still staring blankly at an item that she has purchased for her shop, trying to figure out exactly what it is. And she is late to the birth. Great. Someone you can rely on. Manny is always trying to improve the shop, whether that's by cleaning or organising. And at one point, he tries to bring the whole place into the 21st century, despite the show only just making it there itself, and introduces a coffee bar. Unfortunately, this means there are more customers coming into the shop and this is just something that won't ride with Bernard, who likes the idea of having the shop, but has an obvious reluctance when it comes to parting with any of the books on the shelves. He is so determined that no one's going to buy anything. He frightens them away with his aggression. 
Bernard just seems to live in a different century to everyone else. And this is made clear many times throughout the series. He doesn't want computers. He doesn't want coffee makers. He prefers his books, his wine, his cigarettes. He is rude when customers ask him questions and is genuinely baffled whenever someone asks him to look something up. Of course, if you dare to approach him to ask for anything, then more for you. I don't think I would. When we first meet Bernard, he seems almost helpless. He is struggling to get his taxes sorted out. Of course, the fact that his books are just receipts he digs out of his coat pockets doesn't help in any way. He goes to visit his accountant, who, halfway through the appointment, disappears out of a window, closely followed by the police. Instead of asking for help, he tries to trick Fran into doing his accounts for him. And when that fails, he actually offers a customer a book for free if he'll break one of Bernard's legs. Maim me and I'll give you a book. Mm, I wonder if he told me I could have 20 minutes for free in there if I do it. Don't think I actually want anybody to ask me that question because I'm not sure I'd like the answer. Though we see quite a lot of character development, at the end, Bernard is still grumpy, miserable, and a man who should probably not be running a shop. In the beginning, he was sitting behind his desk, puffing on a cigarette and drinking a large glass of wine. And at the very end, he is still doing exactly the same thing. However, we do see evidence that he has actually grown to tolerate the people who care about him. It's not so much about putting up with his friends. He is now able to look beyond the fact that they have invaded his space. How dare they? True, he is still incredibly reluctant to admit that he needs anyone, but he's not about to throw them out if they annoy him. There's something about Bernard being truthful that speaks to me, though. <laughs> okay, so I am more likely to drink a jug or three of coffee in a day rather than a bottle or three of wine, and I don't smoke but I would probably open a bookshop just so I had an excuse to read all day. I know it wouldn't stay open for long, but hey, all the books and people would be bringing them to me for nothing. Manny is a complex character, despite the fact that he seems really easy to unpack. His entire life changed because of a book. Despite the fact that his past as an accountant is mentioned, to all intent and purpose, his entire character changed when he consumed the little book of calm. He is friendly, even in the face of Bernard's constant ire. He immediately finds a place in Bernard's life and subsequently Fran's, with barely any effort at all, which speaks really highly of him as a character. For all that he finds this new life after his change, he is not exactly the luckiest person on earth. Oh my God, so many things happen to that guy. I don't want to overanalyze him, but what happens to everything that went with his old life? He must have had a place to live, a life, family, friends, but it's as though all of that ceased to exist the moment he nearly died. Yeah, I, I know you have to suspend disbelief, but at the same time, there is no avoiding the fact that it's a little bit odd. Manny is also incredibly talented. There are certain skills he has that could either be attributed to his previous personality or just quirks that go with his new one. Take, for example, his ability on the piano. Does that come from who he was before or is he genuinely a savant? Whatever. It's beautiful. 
Bill Bailey himself is a very talented musician, so it should come as no surprise that he actually played all the pieces in that particular episode himself. Wow, what I wouldn't give to actually be able to do more than scales. Of course, the fact that Manny has this ability gives both Bernard, who is trying to impress a woman at the time, and Fran, who is trying to show that she doesn't need the pushy, blind music teacher, the chance to use his skills for their personal gain. Fran. She's an odd duck. On the outside, she seems to be well put together, organised, in control. However, it soon becomes incredibly clear that she doesn't have anything together at all. She is good at pretending to be someone who knows what she's doing and happy with where she is. Despite the fact that we have some element of evidence that she has friends outside the bookshop, she is rarely seen with them and rarely mentions them. As though she needs the guys in the bookshop to be in her life as much, if not more, than she needs to be involved in every element of theirs. Her relationship with Bernard is complicated. There seems to be some sort of history there and they have clearly known each other for a really long time, especially as she is friends with the undead ex-girlfriend. But they don't go into that relationship in too much detail. It's just taken as read that they are close friends and do spend a lot of time together. If at any point they did step over the sex border, then it was something that they were easily able to sweep back under the carpet and ignore as though it never happened. Any tension between them is more to do with the fact that their personalities are quite similar, despite the fact that she has more desire to mix with other people than Bernard does. While Bernard is a book hoarder who has a shop for his treasures, Fran is a lover of things, especially shoes. She thinks nothing of spending a lot of money on things, especially those that could be possibly perceived as girly, such as her hair and that massive shoe collection. The bond that she develops with Manny is unusual in that she uses him almost as a girl substitute despite having female friends. It is quite obvious that Bernard is jealous of the relationship that Fran has with this new person in their circle. He is unable to offer her the same companionship that the amenable Manny does, so he is forced, well not forced, he chooses to sulk instead. Fran likes to talk with Manny about celebrities, gossip, society pages. They'll look over an issue of Hello Together laughing at the fashion and the latest whispers out of Hollywood. And Manny, being the one who just goes with the flow, doesn't seem to mind that he is a girlfriend substitute. Well, he doesn't mind anything until he is pushed just a few steps too far. Though the majority of the show is based in the bookshop, we do get glimpses, infrequently though, of the world outside the dirty windows. We visit Nifty Grifty once or twice, see the gang in their local bar, take a trip to Bernard's dodgy accountants, and even, sort of, leave the country? I have talked about a lot of what happens in the show, but not really covered my reasons for wanting to talk about it in the first place. One thing that this show and others released around the same time have done really well is introducing us to colourful characters and really talented actors. Over the three seasons of Black Books, we were treated to a considerable number of well-known faces, including Simon Pegg, David Walliams, Nick Frost, Olivia Coleman, 
Annette Crosby, Martin Freeman, Kevin Eldon, Omid Jalili, Peter Serafinowicz, Jessica Hines, Keith Allen and Nina Conti. And that's not the full list. Unlike some shows that are loved and achieve cult status with barely any recognition, and there are lots of them, Black Books didn't fly under the radar and was nominated for and won two British Academy Awards for comedy in 2001 and 2005. Despite winning these awards, Moran has categorically stated that he will never work on a studio sitcom again. A shame for us as the audience, but clearly he has turned his talents to other things, and they are many. And just like Spaced, I honestly think a further series would ruin the nostalgia associated with the programme itself. I don't know if I'd actually want to see another season of Black Books, even if it were offered to me. There are so many moments that make me laugh. Oh my God, every time I think about them, they just make me chuckle, even as I recount them. One particular moment occurs after Manny has been trying without much luck to get a weekend off, having worked 73 hours straight in the shop and looking after Bernard. Manny has arrived back at the shop wearing a pair of dark glasses, courtesy of being gifted with two black eyes by a dissatisfied customer who discovered he was reading the book that apparently this customer had ordered and they'd sold to someone else. Both Fran and Bernard are hungover and also wearing dark glasses to simply block out the light. As they're all standing in the shop bemoaning their disastrous weekend, Manny even has a walking stick because he was so badly beaten that he's limping. The door opens and an elderly lady with a charity box pokes her head in. She asks if they will give money to the blind and then the trio turn their heads and the episode just ends with this old woman staring at them, almost unable to say anything because as far as she can see, they're all blind and she's asking them for money. And I know I shouldn't, but even just talking about it now makes me laugh. <laughs> it's so difficult to explain physical comedy like this. Oh, I'm <laughs> <laughs> but even as I'm reading through my notes, the memory of this woman's face just makes me laugh. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, at least I'm not crying. Quite often in a short run comedy, especially when there is a considerable gap between the different seasons, quality can suffer a minute drop. However, this was not the case when it came to black books. The second season ends with what I honestly think is one of the strongest episodes. Mostly because it doesn't matter how many times I watch it, I still can't stop laughing every single time. Essentially, a lot of building work is being carried out in the shop next door. And when Fran discovers that this work is set to go on for a full two weeks, she tells Bernard and Manny that they need to get away. So they decide on a holiday. Manny tries to encourage them to take a jungle trek, while Fran is keen on the idea of a beach holiday somewhere and Bernard, being himself, just wants somewhere with a British pub where he can smoke, drink and read books. They're his demands. The trio finally settle on the island of St Honoré. They book their taxis, they pack their bags, well, they sort of pack their bags... As per usual, Bernard is of little help when he decides he needs all of the room in Manny's bag for his books and his record player, 
So he unpacks traveller's checks, malaria pills, guidebooks, sunscreen, mosquito spray, and everything else that's pretty much vital. But in the rush, the one thing they haven't done is book their flights. In a last-minute panic that takes all of five hours because they can't remember the web address where Manny saw these incredible tickets, despite the fact that it was in a newspaper that is on the desk right next to them, they managed to finally book their flights. However, when they arrive at the airport, Fran breaks the news to them that their flights are, in fact, going to be anything but straightforward. New Zealand to Stansted, a few days in Stansted, then on a plane to Saint Honoré. Is it just me who doesn't see the logic there? So where are they stopping on their way to New Zealand? Of course, we don't get to see their holiday, but we definitely get to hear about the four wonderful hours they spent in Saint Honoré and the 13 days of flights they ended up taking to get home. They're exhausted, frustrated, and in Bernard's case, have had enough of everyone. At this point, they're not even sure what country they're in, and we hear a tale of monkey sacrifice and Manny being worshipped as a deity, but apparently we're not meant to talk about Canada again. We know that Bernard's reflex is to tell everyone to leave him alone, and this is no different. One of the things that I truly love about this show is that despite the fact that there are actual years between seasons, very little happens behind the scenes. There is no great resolution before the episodes start. At the end of season two, Manny has been fired. And at the beginning of season three, he is still fired from his job at Black Books, though he has gone on to find a job elsewhere. That's the only back story. That's it. I'm not going to tell you about every single episode because this show really wouldn't work as a radio show. It's very much about the visuals, just like Spaced, really. But I will repeat that there is so much to enjoy about it that if you like Spaced or the IT crowd, or just like the idea of watching something based in a bookshop where no one knows your name and you won't be welcomed with open arms, then Black Books is definitely the show for you. I wish I could make the funniest bit sound more inviting. I hope I've made them inviting enough that you want to watch it anyway. But there are so much about what you see, the facial expressions, the movements, that it really doesn't translate very well to audio. Though Black Books is a comedy, a lot of the situations that they find themselves in, ignore the holiday, inspire in them the type of thoughts that we all experience. How many of you have worked in a customer-facing role and preferred there to be no customers? How many of you would rather spend the entire day with a glass of wine and a book? Can you honestly say that you would never just say yes for an easy life? These characters are all displaying facets of true character, but instead of keeping their thoughts as internal monologue, they're saying them out loud. Years ago, I worked in a superdrug. Uh, to anybody in the US. I think that's a C the equivalent of a CVS. I was not and still am not built for any kind of customer-facing role. And I would actually hide when specific regular customers came into the store because I'd reached the point where I just couldn't deal with them anymore. I have no doubt that my inner monologue in those situations was more Bernard than Manny. As I've already mentioned, Moran chose a bookshop as the central location for the show for a specific reason. 
The really sad thing about Moran's observations when it comes to the fate of the second-hand bookshop is he's right. When I was in my 20s and even in my 30s, there were a considerable number of proper hole-in-the-wall bookshops in town. I used to spend absolutely hours wandering around them. I knew the owners and they would actually put aside books they thought I would like. In the last 10 years, the number of bookshops has shrunk dramatically and now just one that isn't part of a chain remains, which is really sad. I know that the way to source second-hand books has changed a lot as the presence of charity shops has increased. So has the number of people who prefer to donate to them rather than giving to a second-hand bookshop. I can see the merit in it. I really can. But as the number of people who give their books to second-hand shops declines, so does the need for such places to exist. And I honestly think it would be really sad if they cease to be. Where else can you find that amazing smell that comes from older books? Okay, <laughs> my tale of how much I love bookshops, especially second-hand ones with their gorgeous smelling musty pages, is now over. And I should probably save that for an episode of the bookshop. By the way, the latest episode, all about Kelly Armstrong's Cursed Luck, is available now. So we've come to the question and answer part of the episode. Let me know if there are any questions you would like to hear me answer about the shows I watch, or if there's a show you'd love to hear me cover. Just so long as it's nothing really, really gory. So, here goes. There are always questions that I ask myself when I watch anything. So here I am, interviewing myself yet again... But this time, it's about black books. Did I enjoy it? Yes, there are so many reasons why this is a really enjoyable show. I would love to share all my favourite moments with you, but a lot of the reactions depend so much on physical comedy, facial expressions and body movements, so they really don't translate as well as I would like them to. All I can say is that Every single time I see certain scenes playing out in my head as I think about them, they just make me laugh. <laughs> you thought they were blind. <sighs> Will I watch it again? It's such an easy watch. I'm, I've got such a massive smile on my face now. My cheeks are sore. With each episode only being around 25 minutes long, as it aired on Channel 4 with mid-roll adverts, and there only being a total of 18 episodes, it just screams out for a regular rewatch. It's not something I will watch every single year, but sometimes the mood calls for a little bit of Bernard, Manny and Fran, and it's pretty much impossible to ignore that call. There are simply some programmes that make you feel better when nothing else will, and this is one of them. How would I recommend this to someone who's never seen it? Oh, if you love your central characters be to be sarcastic, a little on the mean side, and an extreme version of the old guy sitting in the corner of a pretty much every trucker's cafe, or if you love any of the cast in this show, all of whom are incredibly talented, then this is something you'll enjoy. There is something very different about black books. It wouldn't translate well into a show created specifically for US TV, for example, because it is so very British. If any of this sounds like it's your perfectly brewed cup of tea or coffee, then you really need to find it on a streaming service and sit down with a few episodes of black books. I know for definite that the show is on Netflix, Amazon Prime and Channel 4 On Demand in the UK. However, my searching has discovered that while it is not 
on Netflix in the US any longer. It is apparently still available for watching with adverts for free on Amazon Prime. Ignore the fact that there are ads. It's how we watched it originally. And head over there. It's definitely well worth a viewing. I'm not sure about how you can watch it in other countries, but if anyone has any ideas or knows where it's streaming in other countries, please let me know and I will post it on Twitter. So there it is, my relatively spoiler-free review of all three seasons of the fantastic 2000-2004 British award-winning comedy, Black Books. So... How are things in the coffee household this week? As I mentioned last week, I was due to spend a day with the family on Friday. Well, a half day, really. And I did. It was meant to be a time of relaxation with a massage, a facial and time in a spa pool. And while much of it felt okay, there were a number of moments, okay, too many moments if you ask me, where I felt like I had regressed into the child I always was when surrounded by my family especially my mum and my younger sister. I don't know what it is about spending time with these two people, but I always feel as though they have no respect for me or for my ideas or information or knowledge or anything else for that matter. Now, I know that my mum thinks that my podcasting is a waste of time, money, energy and everything else and would far prefer if I did something, though I don't know what. But the only suggestion she has is joining a gym. I have done that. They are germy places and there are far too many people there, which is bad for my general mental well-being. Anyway, on this particular occasion, my sister-in-law asked about the podcast. But now that I have been doing it for a while, I'm actually more comfortable with the knowledge that they don't listen to it. And I'm fine with that. Whereas all my mum wanted to talk about was my sister and her new job, her knee, and my niece and the fact that my niece has just been made redundant from her part-time job while she's at dance school. As the conversation swirled around me, I just sank into thoughts of what I was going to talk about on the next podcast and how I would actually rather be at work on that saying something. I thought that the massage would help, but as the morning had started with a massive cock up on the part of the spa, which ended with a disagreement that made me feel really uncomfortable because I'm really not keen on confrontation, especially when it occurs in public spaces, it was going to take a lot to get me feeling relaxed. I have decided, actually, on that note, that I really don't like a Swedish massage. I didn't want to say anything, so when my mum and sister and my sister-in-law were all gushing about how amazing they felt, I kept quiet. I didn't want to rock the boat because it's just pointless. In all honesty, I have had much better massages and much better facials, but it was a gift and everyone else enjoyed it, so perhaps it was just down to me. It was my inner inner feelings. Okay, I sound like I'm moaning now, so let's get down to it. I had half expected the day to only be a few hours, that we'd be done by one and I'd be home and working on a book I wanted to read or something by 1.30. So when we all went for lunch, I started to feel anxious. With my new diabetes medication that, as an aside, I have not told anyone in my family about as yet, my stomach is proving incredibly sensitive to food. I hadn't had any coffee because it's not good to have strong stimulants before a massage and I'd started to develop something of a bit of a headache. During our lunch I dared to open my mouth twice 
Both times I was looked at as though I was stupid. I was corrected and genuinely just wanted to curl up in a corner. I really don't know what it is about family situations that either turns me into a total dimwit or makes me want to disappear, but it's always the same. I'm not a stupid person. I have a relatively decent IQ, two degrees and eight A-levels. Okay, I get bored. I am not bragging here, just saying things as they are. But the moment I am around my family, they treat me as though I know nothing. Because, actually, I don't know why. Sometimes I get this feeling that it's because they think that as I am someone who has mental health issues, I'm also stupid or something. Okay, so I don't own my own house. I don't have a partner or kids. But that doesn't negate my life experience or the fact that I am a blinking adult of 47. But every time I am with my family, they look at me with this pitiful expression on their faces. No, I'm not being paranoid here. My mum says things like, you don't understand, or no, that's not what it is at all. And then they all carry on talking as though I don't exist and haven't said anything. I know that it may sound as though I am developing paranoia or just being the permanent victim, but I truly believe that my family's understanding of mental health issues is at the same level as many were back in the 80s when it was an issue to be dealt with courtesy of electroshock therapy and a stint in the asylum. The biggest problem I have with the way that they interpret these issues is the fact that they are passing these theories and feelings down to the next generation. I have mentioned previously the way that my niece has talked to me. This week it was more of the same. I know that there are organisations out there which deal with mental health education but as with many of the more commonly discussed situations that people are more open about talking about today, some people are never going to learn and will never change. Though I hate to admit it, Friday's adventure, and I am using that term very loosely, showed me that some people just cannot change. But if they don't make the effort to do so, other people are going to get hurt. I know that some people have it far worse than me, and I wish nothing but the best for all of you that you get your understanding and your support. I just can't help wishing that my family would make it a little easier, maybe make just that tiny bit of effort. Just try a little harder to understand that just because I have some mental health issues, maybe I'm a little more fragile than I would like to be, doesn't mean that I'm bloody stupid. Before I go, I do have one thing to say. Voting is now open for the British Podcast Awards and there are some incredible podcasts up for an award. If you haven't done so yet, head over to the website. I'll post the link in the info box. You can even vote for me if you want to. Just don't forget the all-important exclamation mark at the end of Not Before Coffee. So that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed the listen and I'll be back next week with more. Don't forget, the bookshop will be open again on Monday with the next review. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family and please post a review over on Podchaser. I really do love hearing what you have to say. You can follow me on Twitter at need underscore three underscore mugs or over on Instagram at not before coffee podcast. I'm getting better at posting there. Well, I need another cup of coffee as I definitely haven't had enough. So I'm going to go and put the kettle on. Until next time, this is me saying farewell. <laughs>